You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Thank you, Justin. Uh, hey, good to see y'all, Grace Hills. It's been a little bit, so I did not get fired. As much as some may have hoped, it did not happen. It's on vacation. With that, I did want to say a couple of things. Um, while I was gone, I was able to watch both the uh, Sunday services while I was out. And John and Justin did a tremendously fabulous job. Yes? Um, just the messages were fantastic. Uh, I even told Justin one of his best messages, the idea of what it means to follow Christ, the commitment to be a follower of Christ, was so well laid out. And then as John tackled actually a very hard subject of Jesus teaching on hell and the reality of it, and, and I like where he landed. Yes, there is a hell. Yes, it is horrible. And Jesus came to die so you wouldn't have to go there. That's a good message. That's a real good message. And so I want to just make sure I just thank them for doing that and being able to get away and get some rest with the family. So we're grateful for uh, them. Now, I'm going to say something now, and it may stir up lots of different things, some good, some bad. I don't know. But we're going to give it a whirl and see what happens. And it goes like this. Do you take this woman... To be a reflection of Jesus and his love for his church, to put her needs before your own, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. As God is my witness, I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow with all that I am and all that I have. I honor you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but that's one of the vows that I'll do when I do weddings. And I love to do weddings. I love baptisms. I love baby dedications, but I love weddings. There's something so much fun about seeing two people come together that were separate, that come together, and they become one. And I've gotten to do so many weddings. Probably my favorite one is when a family said they were going to save some money, and they flew us all out to Scotland to do a wedding in a castle on the cliffs. I'm like... Yes, please. And so we did that. That was fabulous. It was super fun. Um, it's interesting. If you look at wedding vows, if you look at what it says, really what's going on in that moment, it's all rooted in something really important. Well, what's it rooted in? A promise, right? It's rooted in a promise that no matter what, I'm in and I'm not leaving. I'm going to be here through the good times and the hard times when it's great and when it's not so great as what it is. And there's all this formality that we pour into weddings. And we make these big promises and we bring in witnesses. We literally sign contracts based upon the state that you live in. So it's a legal binding document that people would know that I have done this thing and we throw too much money at it to show like, yes, we are going to do this. And yet, in all of that, we see divorce rates at some crazy statistics. So I was reading a little bit. Uh, it was a stat from a 2023 Forbes article, and it talked about divorce. And just a few stats that I pulled out of it, that over 50% of marriages will end in divorce. And that's not just saying secular or Christian. That's 50%. Between 52 and 54% of marriages will end in divorce. The average uh, time that divorces happen is around that eight-year mark. So if you're like the seven-year itch, that's a thing. That really is a thing. And eight years is around when that takes place for most divorces. 
For those that remarry and have a second marriage, the percentage for divorce goes up to 67%. And for those so daring to try a third marriage, it goes up to 73% divorce rate. See, we have all at some level been touched by divorce whether we have had parents that have gone through divorce, whether we've gone through divorces, whether we've seen our parents, there's all these ways that it touches. We feel the wake and the pain and the hardship that comes from that, and we don't like it. So we, we see this moment that there was this thing that we said, all this energy and time and commitment was placed on this moment, on this event. We said, this was good. And then when it breaks, we're going, what happened? Why is this taking place? I want to tell you something this morning. I know in this room there is a large amount of people that have gone through divorces, okay? I'm not stupid. I understand that we have all been touched by that in some way. Today, my objective is not to condemn anybody. It's not to beat anybody up. It's not to heap shame and guilt upon anybody. But my goal and my objective is today is that we would point to understand that God loves his people, that God is committed to his people in a covenant, and that he holds up that end even when we fail, even when we can't do it. Because here's the thing, Jesus had something to say about divorce. And the people of that day and that age, they were not immune to the fact that divorce was a thing that was going on. And if you're like, I want all these rules about divorce and remarriage and what that looks like, this really isn't the direction that we're going with this sermon. Now, you may get some of those things along the way, but that's not the intent of what we're trying to do. So if that's what you want, that's a different conversation for a different day. But we are going to look at God. We're going to look at his love. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12 is where we're going to reside. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. You're more than welcome to use that. If you don't have a Bible, please take it as a gift. We want you to have a copy of God's word so you can read it as well. Here we go, starting in verse 1 in chapter 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created him from the beginning made them male and female? He said, therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. 
And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Let's pray, and we will jump into this section of Scripture. Jesus, thank you for this passage. Lord, I know that this is a sensitive subject for a lot of people. And so what I ask, Holy Spirit, is that you would fill me and that you would really take the wheel right now. I don't want to be a distraction. Uh, I don't want to move people into shame and regret and, and condemnation. That's not what we're about here, but we are about your grace and your love and your mercy. Though we know that divorce has lots of consequences that run with that, that you are a God that is so far stretching with your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness for your people. I ask that you would speak through me. If there's anything I shouldn't say, let me not say it. If there's anything I need to say, let me say it. We trust you and believe you because you are a good God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, up to this point, understanding where Jesus is, a little bit of context, that he has done his primary ministry in and around Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, which is north of Jerusalem. And so he had slowly started working his way down on the east side of the Jordan River, and he was crossing back over because he was on his way to Jerusalem, where ultimately he would go and die for the sins of the world. And so as he's moving through these regions and through these areas, he's going from small towns and villages. He's making his way to more and more condensed cities. And as that happens, the crowds are starting to grow and develop more and more. And as that's happening, he's going in these towns and these villages and he's healing people supernaturally. He's uh, showing that not only can he heal their physical needs in life, but their spiritual needs, which is the more important pressing issue. And he's kind of going that way. And what we find is it sets the scene for the Pharisees who were really tired of his teaching, didn't agree with his teaching, thought that they could actually earn God's favor by what they did, not what God was going to do. And so they were always trying to trip him up. They were always trying to catch him in a little bit of a trap. And that's exactly where they are. The plan was discredit Jesus in front of his followers and see if we can get the crowds to thin out so he's not so popular. And what they would do is they would ask questions about the law and how to live. And you go, well, what's the big deal about that? Think about it this way. Politically, you know, we're not too far away from voting in maybe a new, maybe not a new president. And with that comes debates. And with those debates come, they ask questions that get people to say something that will then turn away potential voters, right? Hey, what's your view on abortion? You have just split the line with the entire nation. Hey, what do you think about immigration? Hey, what do you think uh, about how we spend our tax money? Like, what, like all these things come from that, right? And that's what they're doing. They're just trying to divide up those areas. And so they ask the question in verse 3, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Now, you need to understand that even the Jews during that day and that place were very divided on what the rules were for divorce. And different rabbis and different Jewish teachers had different ways where they would land. Someone say, well, only if there's unchastity, unfaithfulness is the only time that that could take place that you would do that. And then others would say, well, it's not just that. If your wife doesn't, this is, I'm not even making this up, by the way. If your wife messes up your meal for dinner, you can divorce her. I'm like, wow, cold spaghetti. You're out. I don't know like how that works, but that's how it was. And then there was one guy that went as far as say, if you find someone prettier, 
And I'm like, would that apply to you, bro? Because, you know, that may not work for you. And so there is all these different levels. So it could be if you were unfaithful in the bedroom. It could be that you weren't taking care of the home in that way. Or if you just didn't meet the standards of looks for that individual, you could pull out the certificate of divorce and divorce. And so Jesus answers this question in, I think, the best way because, well, he's God. He's really good at doing that. And my first point is the original design. The author of marriage is going to define what marriage is and how it should work. And so what Jesus does, he actually goes to a place in Scripture that predates the law of God, which is exactly what they're quoting in that moment. And so he starts in the right place because he goes to a place where sin hasn't tainted everything. He goes to a place when God designed it, what it looked like, how it should function. This is the right way that it should be. Maybe some of you have noticed that I tend to go back to Genesis 1 and 2 a lot when I preach. If you've noticed that, thank you for paying attention. If you haven't noticed that, shame on you. Just shame, shame. But I go there because if we don't understand God's original design for whatever it is we're talking about, we can allow the world to tell us what they think is right about whatever it is. And so Jesus goes all the way back to the very beginning. And there's some observations that I think that we need to note that Jesus is talking about. One is one that seems very obvious, but I think we need to pause on it for a second. God created marriage. Like, okay, whatever. No, no, no. God makes man. God makes woman. God makes marriage. This is not a social construct. Societies didn't just come together and decide, you know, we should figure this out and we should make this thing work. And so what's being done is that God is the one that created it. What do we call marriage sometimes? Holy Huh, why would we call it that? Because God is holy. And if God creates something, it is holy because he made it, because he is pure. That's why we call it holy matrimony. So he is set apart. He is different. He said, this is something that I want, and it's going to be an institution that I have designed. I made it. You know what's funny? There's a lot of movies that I don't like right now. You can ask my kids. I hate most movies right now. And I want to be like, I want to change this movie. I want to do this, and I want to do that. You know what the problem is? I'm not the director, I'm not the writer, and I'm not the producer. I don't have the right to change that movie, do I? But yet, for some reason, God creates marriage, and we think that we can change it and redefine it and make it whatever we want it to be. We don't have that right. We didn't create it. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying, that, that God is the one who designed this, so he is the one that determines how it functions and what we do with it. Now, it's also for another reason as well. Sometimes we don't think about it. The purpose of marriage at times is friendship. It's relationship. It's companionship. Do you realize that Adam was made, it says, and Adam was alone and it was not good, so God made him a helper. That there is a part of companionship and relationship and friendship that comes alongside for what marriage is and how it functions. Now, I have a lot of friends. I've lived in a lot of different places, and I love goofing off with my friends and doing things that are stupid and unsafe, and I do those. And I would call them my good friends. Annette is my best friend. I prefer to spend time with my wife, Annette. I want to do things with my wife. I like her more than my other friends. 
She is absolutely my, my best friend. And I think that we forget at times that friendship is such a core part of marriage and what it looks like. Like, hopefully you have that same thought about your spouse. They are your best friend that you can confide in and be a part of in all ways. The other thing that I want to say, and I want to say it with love, and I want to say it gently, and I don't want to use God's word as a hammer, but there are those that say that Jesus never spoke about same-sex relationships, and he didn't speak about gender identity. And that is false, because he does absolutely in this spot. He tells us that God's plan for marriage is between one man and one woman in a covenant relationship which we will talk about in a few minutes. So it says there's a man and there is a woman. That's how they were designed from the beginning. And they will enter into a covenant relationship, the two of them. He does speak about this. And it's not aggressive, but he speaks about it. And he's plain about it. And he points to God's original design. That's what he's saying. That a man will leave his parents and will move into a new relationship with a woman. And when they enter into this relationship called marriage, it turns into something else. It turns into something new. I mean, think about it. You have these two individuals that make all their own decisions in life. I can do this. I can go here. I can do that. No one tells me what to do. And then you marry someone. Suddenly, those rules change, don't they? Suddenly, you're not just making decisions for yourself. Now, you're making decisions for a two people that they affect each other, that there's, you have to take them into consideration and that there's compromise and there's letting go of certain things. It's not doing exactly what you want all the time, that there's a, a, a unity of working together that wasn't once there. And, and the Bible says that we become intertwined to the point where we're so intertwined that we can't separate those things out. And this is why marriage is such a big decision that we should, A, that I tell lots of young people, and sometimes old people that are moving too fast, that you should not walk lightly into it. And as I talk with people that are going through difficulties in marriage, I also say, and you should not lightly walk out of it. The term that God would use for a relationship like this is actually the strongest of all relationships and agreements, and it's called a covenant. That's the word that he uses it's a term that God would use over and over again with his people, the Israelites, the Jewish people. So Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, those are those, his people, right? He's making this covenant with them. He's saying, I am in. It's a picture of marriage that he would talk about him being the bridegroom and his people being his bride over and over and over again. He uses marriage as symbolism to show that. This becomes the big idea that marriage is actually a reflection of how God deals with his people. And he gives us these microscopic little things that we can sit in that we can actually participate in understanding that. And if you want to know God's heart, Jesus' heart on the issue of divorce and ending marriages, he's pretty clear on that at the end of verse 6. We even say this at the end of a lot of weddings, uh, the ceremony, don't we? What, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Have you heard that at a wedding? It's something that God's like, I'm not a big fan of people breaking up. That's, I'm, I'm just not a big fan of that. So it means that marriage is not just between the man and the woman. As a matter of fact, it's also between God and the man and the woman. It says what he has joined together. 
See, this thing that takes place in a marriage where you become one flesh, as the Bible would talk about over and over again, um, he's the one who does that. He's a part of what that looks like. And you're like, I don't know how that works, Simon. As a matter of fact, that sounds really confusing. And I would say this, you're not alone. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul also said, this is really confusing, how God joins two people together in marriage like that. And it's very interesting. We're going to go to this passage twice, but the first time we're going to look at it is Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. If I can actually find it here. Oops, I'm not even in Ephesians. There's the problem. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and there shall become one flesh. Again, just saying the exact same thing that Jesus said. And then he says this. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Even Paul and this is, this is this is strange, this marriage thing and how it takes place and what it does is interesting. So we may not be able to put words to how it functions and what it does and what it looks like, right? But you know what's interesting? We can tell by looking at a marriage if it's healthy, can't we? You can look at a marriage and say, that's a good marriage. Though they respect each other. They, they work well together. That's a marriage that I'd like to have someday. It seems like they really do truly love each other. And you know what's funny? We also know when it's not true, right? You ever look at a marriage and go, there's something off in that marriage. So we may not be able to describe this profound mystery of the one flesh and what it looks like, but we can tell when it's right and we can tell when it's wrong. So we get to verse 7 after Jesus says, this is what marriage is and what it looks like. The Pharisees are ready to spring their trap on Jesus so they can trip him up and weaken his authority with his followers. Says, well, okay, in verse 7, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? If God doesn't want this, then why did this take place? Why did Moses do that? Now, there's many things in this section from this question they ask, but the bulk of it is a basic misunderstanding and the purpose of marriage. They don't understand what marriage is about. They don't understand what it's for. They don't understand the design of marriage and why it's there. At the essence of marriage, it is about a covenant relationship. And the purpose of it and how it plays out is relationship and friendship with another. And it's modeled after the relationship that we have with God. It's for us to see and enjoy, and it's for others to see and understand the covenant that God has with his people. See, what they had done is they had boiled it down to a contract, not a covenant. And there's a big difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract is what we do with our cell phone provider. I'd say everyone in here has a cell phone provider, so you've all entered into a contract at some level, and you've had to sign your name on something. A contract's really simple. I will pay you this much, and you will do this thing. Or if I'm going to do this, then you're going to do that. And both parties have to agree. So let's say I say, I want my 5G network, and maybe it gives me brain cancer, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. And I want to want that. I'm going to want my texting and my data, and I want it to be unlimited. I want a family plan, and I want it to work when it works, and I don't want there to be problems. And I will pay you if you do that. And they say, that's fine. We'll give you all these things as long as you pay your bill. And if either party doesn't do that, the contract is broken and we can then move our separate ways. Does that make sense? A covenant isn't like that. 
Now, there are aspects of the agreement part to it, but it's not exactly the same thing. We need to understand what Jesus is saying at this. See, a covenant, as it's described in the Bible, says a contractual agreement between God and a person or between human beings, which requires binding action from one or both parties. One party often has higher status in the arrangement. So it has the effects of an agreement like a contract, but it's different. A, it's binding. It's not breakable. And the other one, it doesn't have to be relying upon both parties to keep up the covenant, does it? It can be solely on one. In this case, as we talk about a covenant with God, we are talking about God being the one that keeps the covenant and holds it together. That's what we're talking about. The Pharisees literally carried around a piece of paper in their little, you know, roby things, and they had a piece of paper that was a certificate of divorce. And at any time, they could whip that thing out and be like, you're done. And that was it. Legal, binding, it held. Could you imagine being in a marriage where someone had this ability to just whip out a piece of paper at any point and just hold that over your head? Could you imagine the reality of the culture that they lived in in that day and age where women didn't have the ability to sustain and have jobs the same way that we do today? And that if you don't do what I say, hey, uh, uh, you gonna do it? Where's my breakfast? That's what it would feel like all the time. See, as they started to work through this, it really revolved around not about a commitment. It revolved around emotions for them. And I think we do a lot of this as well today. If I'm not happy, I'm out. Because marriage is about feelings. You know what the problem with feelings are? They fade. They change. And they usually change based on circumstances. Like, how can we be on cloud nine one moment and be in the dumps the next? Circumstances, emotions. That's what drives it. That's why we say things like, I fell out of love. What does that mean? They didn't meet my needs. They didn't really meet my expectations. I I thought that they were somebody different, or I thought that they would change how I would want them to change. Do you realize who it's all about? It's all about the individual. It's about me. As long as you do what I want, I'm in. And if you don't, I'm out. See, that's that's not commitment. And at the heart of all of what we're talking about in this covenant, it's about a commitment which is my second point. Hard hearts destroy God's design. See, Jesus replies really quickly. This idea of hard hearts is a result of sin. You want to know where hard hearts come from? It comes from sin. That's what happened when we rebelled against God. And these hard hearts cause us to continually rebel against God and his ways. What he would say is good, right, and perfect for us. And that's why Jesus is quick to say that was never what God wanted. That was never his intended design when it came to marriage. That's not what he wanted. Divorce is a byproduct of sin and the fallen nature of man. That's why divorce is here. And and let me just say this really profound statement. Marriage is hard. (laughs) Sorry, John. (laughs) Marriage is tough, is it not? If you've been married, you know that it's hard. There's, there's some math that I like to do here that maybe will make sense. One sinner plus two sinners does not equal holiness. That's bad math. 
That's not how that works. You get two people that we all tend to be selfish at some level getting together. Do you think that there's going to be friction? Do you think that there's going to be conflict? Of course there is. There's always going to be conflict. We come from different backgrounds. We do different things. Annette and I are about to celebrate next month our 25th wedding anniversary. And that's... Applaud her. (laughs) It's been great and super hard. (laughs) I'm not an easy person to live with. Ask anyone in my family. She's not an easy person to live with. It's it's the reality of marriage. It's, It's tough at times. And do you know why marriage is hard? Here's a little secret. Marriage is hard because we are hard hearted people. Marriage is hard because we are hard-hearted people. Sin has made us adverse to following and trusting and believing God, his plan for marriage and relationships in general. And that's why we treat each other the way we do. We need a new heart. Meaning that your hard heart towards God and what he would want for you is led to everything falling to pieces. And God is a relational God, so it makes sense that this thing that feels the biggest impact is relationships, isn't it? That's what sin does. It, it takes what God has made that is good and it ruins it. It stains it, it taints it. And this beautiful institution that God gave us as a gift, what we find can be defiled in such a way that because God cares for those that are marginalized, that he does at times provide a solution or a provision for these cases. Now, it's not all cases, And it's not what we should seek, nor does it give us just permission to divorce. But in specific situations with specific circumstances, it is permitted, not required. Do you understand? Does that make sense? I meet with a lot of men and women when it comes to marriage counseling. Um, I have met with so many people, and I've been asked point blank, can I divorce my husband? Can I divorce my wife? I want to divorce them. Here at this church, I've been asked that multiple times. And I'm not, there is no silver bullet because every marriage is different and unique and the circumstances are very specific to that marriage. I want you to understand that. And so there's a lot of conversations that take place. What's going on here and what's going on there? Is he a believer? Is she not a believer? Like, where where are we with that? And so there's a lot that goes into it. But I will say this, most times, the majority of times that I counsel people and I talk with people, I do not recommend divorce. I'll just tell you that right now. But the word that Jesus is going to use, say that there is this provision at times for divorce, potentially, is porneia. The word porneia is kind of this junk drawer for any sexual sin that's not really named in the Bible. And so it's defined this way. Porneia is sexual immorality, sexual acts that are morally objectionable, especially related to prostitution. So when we start talking about this idea of sexual immorality, you know what we're really talking about? Being unfaithful, not being faithful to the covenant that's been laid out. Paul would talk about that in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 16. You can look that up later if you want to. Talking about the idea that we've defiled the marriage by connecting ourselves to somebody else. See, with contracts, we just rip the contract up and we throw it away. The difference between that and a covenant, it's like cutting off your arm. That's the difference. Why? Because it's a part of you. It's one flesh. It's intertwined and connected. Why does divorce hurt so much? Try ripping parts of your flesh off and ask me how that feels. That's why it hurts so much. 
because we're intertwined and we're connected in a way that we weren't meant to be pulled apart. God tells us how he feels about divorce in Malachi 2.16. I'll I'll read the ESV, but I also want to, uh, I want to read the NLT as well. So you'll see the NLT come up on the screen, Uh, but it says this in the ESV. For the man who does not love his wife but divorce her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Or as it says in the NLT, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. That's pretty straightforward. He hates it. Now, what's the context of Malachi that he's saying that? So you got to remember, this is after the Israelites had been in captivity in Babylon. They've been removed and they're going back home, right? And like, oh, they've learned their lessons. They've repented and they're, they're going to do things the right way. They're going to follow God and believe God. And you know what we find? They're not. They're not trusting God. They're defiling the temple. They're taking advantage of other people. They're actually worse than they were when they left. And what they're doing is, so figuratively, they are cheating on God with other gods, but they're also actually doing that literally by divorcing their wives and marrying women outside of the covenant of God, and they're then worshiping those false gods. That's what's going on in Malachi. And yet what we see at the very end of Malachi in chapter 4, it's only four chapters long, is that he says this, I love you. I am not giving up on you. Even though you rebel and reject and are unfaithful to me, I will pursue you and I'm going to send the Messiah and he is going to uphold the covenant that I have made with you. You know, it's interesting, we have this break. So Malachi ends, and that is in what part of the Bible? Old Testament. You know what testament means? Covenant. So Malachi ends with remembering the covenant that God made with his people, and then as soon as we start Matthew, we enter into the new covenant that he is going to have for his people. Here's my third point, the heart of the gospel. You may be asking, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my marriage? And and, and what does it mean to to be a believer and be married? Because you gotta remember who he's talking. He's talking about those that are in the covenant, his covenant people. He's talking about those that love and worship God. So he's talking for us today as Christians, those who are Christians, this is who he's talking to. We are tiny windows and expressions of God in how we live our life. We need to understand that. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. It says how we live, how we view God, and what we truly worship. And marriage is a picture, a huge picture of God and his great love for us. It's an overarching theme that he uses all throughout the Bible. Now, there's a passage that I read at almost every single wedding that I do. And it's not the most popular passage that I read at every wedding, but it's the most accurate when it comes to describing what marriage is and why it actually exists. Some of go, oh, it's the love chapter in Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient, love is kind. That's not the one I read, as a matter of fact. I read Ephesians 5, 22 through 29. Let's read it. By the way, most people don't like this passage, but we'll explain why in a second. Let's start in verse 22. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now we go to the men. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does for the church. This is two sermons easily, but we're not doing that today because we don't have that kind of time. But I will say this, that there are roles that have reflections and representation in this passage that we need to understand when it comes to marriage and why God dislikes divorce so much. Wives, in marriage, you represent the church. That's who you represent. Husbands, in the marriage, you represent Christ. You're like, well, I like the Christ one versus the church one. That seems like a little unfair. Give me a second, and we'll get to why it's just as bad for everybody. The church is meant to submit to Christ in all things. There's a reason why we read God's Word, and we submit to God's Word, and we tell you what Jesus says about any given subject, because it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God thinks. Amen? Amen. And that's why we preach out of the Bible. And so we, as a church, will submit to Christ in whatever He's called us to do, even when we don't understand it, and even when we don't like it. Now... That's how wives are supposed to act with their husbands. Husbands are to be like Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean? He died. You're like, well, suddenly submission's not so bad. (laughs) He literally laid down his life and died and gave up his rights and abilities so he could serve the church, so the church could thrive and grow. When I explain it in this way, I would say, wife, whoever's getting married, if that is the kind of love that was given to you, would you want to submit to someone that's willing to lay down their life to serve you? And I almost always get the, well, yeah, I mean, that I would be willing to submit to. That's why I say, don't rush into marriage and don't marry outside of the Christian faith. You're asking for problems. So when we divorce... What we do in these moments as Christians, we give a false picture of a God who we're saying God doesn't love his people. And and God, he bails when it gets hard. When it doesn't feel like love, he's out. See, a covenant says I'm here no matter what. God shows this love over and over and over and over again in, in the Old Testament, doesn't he? Israel just keeps rebelling over and over again. He calls them prostitutes at times. Like that's how he refers to them. He he calls them cheating spouses at times because he's trying to build this picture. But yet he's there no matter what for the people of Israel. And then we see that he extends this love to us, the Gentiles. That's just non-Jewish folk, most of us in this room. That's why we have a verse that we probably all know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, right? We know that. That's the love that he shows us. That's the commitment that he has. 
Marriage is a commitment, and marriage is hard, and your spouse is going to fail you, and they are going to mess up. What are you going to do when that happens? See, the gospel was the commitment of, I love you so much that I'm willing to lay down my life for you so you don't have to lose yours. The essence of marriage is a covenant. And it's there when the times are hard, when it's sick, when they're poor, until death do us part. That's why this sounds just like a wedding vow. See, God understands the depravity of man and how far-reaching sin goes. And because he cares for us, at times he has provision for that to exist, to care for the one that's being abused. There's other parts in the Bible that feel like wedding vows too, and I'm just gonna kind of do like a quick three-verse shoot-over. Deuteronomy 31 Six, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you, bringing courage to Joshua and the people of Israel to go and take the land that was promised to them. That he said, I am not going to desert you. I am not going to leave you. First Chronicles, David is talking to King Solomon. David's talking to Solomon before he becomes the king, and he's going to do this big work to build the temple. And he says this, And David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous, and do it. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus, as he leaves this earth, and this is another passage I quote all the time, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of age. Does that not sound like wedding vows of a God that is faithful, that loves and cares for his people, that's going to provide what they need in the covenant, that we don't have to be the ones that uphold the covenant because we can't? That's the heart of the gospel. We couldn't meet God's requirements. Jesus could, so he holds the covenant up. He is the one that holds it up, not us. I got three minutes to land this plane. I've got a full point to go. (laughs) Ah. Divorce is interesting in the Bible. There's only three spots where it says that you can divorce and remarry in the Bible. There's only three provisions that are there. One we've talked about, being unfaithful, right? That's in Matthew 19, 9. Abandonment is the other one. That's in 1 Corinthians 7, 15. And then death, till death do us part, Romans 7, 2, that they can be allowed to remarry, right? So that's where you see those provisions. I'll say it again. You don't have to divorce if that happens. And it's not required And what I want to show you is that followers of Christ, as Christians, we are able to live a life like Jesus. And I want you to see how God deals with each of us in each three of these areas when it comes to his covenant for us and what that looks like and the benefits that we have with eternity with God. We are unfaithful to God all the time, aren't we?
we pursue things other than him. We pursue our passions, our desires, what we think is going to bring us joy, what we think is going to bring us hope, what is going to fulfill and sustain us. We feel like, oh, if I just had this thing, that would be good. That's going to bring me what I really want. And we're unfaithful with God and we cheat on God, as it would say. And at times, we turn our backs on God. We leave God. We reject him, reject his law, we reject his love, and we say, you know what? I know better. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do what I want. I'm in charge. I make the rules. I'm the captain of my ship. I'll do whatever I please, and I don't need you to come in here and ruin what I'm doing, and we abandon God and we turn our back on him. And what we see is because of sin, we are all dead. Physically, we die. And spiritually, we are dead. And we are helpless and hopeless because of the status that we have in sin if we have not been saved. And I might want to ask a couple of questions for everyone here. Where have you been unfaithful with God and where are you currently unfaithful with God? Where are you pursuing your own passions and desires for joy and hope someplace else? Where have you abandoned God and turned your back on him? Where have you decided that I am right and I'm gonna do what I think is best? I don't care what you say. I'm gonna define life in my terms, not yours. It's funny, what does the gospel say? What does the gospel do in this covenant that God made with us? When we are faithless, he pursues us. He chases after us. If you want to read a, a very hard and challenging section of scripture, read Hosea. Read about Hosea. Hosea's life, I'm going to snapshot this super quick, was a prophet that was told to marry a prostitute and that she was going to cheat on you over and over again. She would not only cheat on you, she would have children with other people and that at some point you would have to buy her out of slavery and bring her back home to marriage. And he says, and you are going to be a reflection of my love for my people of Israel. That's Hosea. <clears throat> when it comes to turning our back on God and saying, you know what, God? Up yours, I'll do whatever I want. There's no better story than the prodigal son. I'll do it my way. I'll do what I want. And yet we see that the father waits and pines and looks to welcome him home, to bring him back into the family. And when we are dead and unable to save ourselves, Jesus goes to the cross. He dies in our place to give us new life so we can be with him for eternity where we will never die again and we will never feel the pains of death. Just like Lazarus when Jesus brought his friend back to life saying that I offer new life to anyone that calls on me. And this is how God's people live. This is how God's covenant people live. I don't know the situations that you're in if you are in a very hard marriage right now. But I would call you to do a couple of things. One, ask, is this something that God would want for me? Is this in my power? Is this outside of my power? 
I would really want you to schedule talking to me or one of the elders to talk through the situation that you're currently in and walk you through scripture to show you what God would have for you and the response that's in that. I've been doing that with different people and um, it's very hard and I love those people very much and I want to point them to Christ in all things. But for those that are married, do you realize that you have an opportunity to show God's covenant love with your spouse? But they're hard to love and so are you. So are you. They, have, they tell me the same thing, just not to your face. I'm hard to love. She's hard to love. We're both hard to love. But yet as we love the way that Christ loved us, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can show that love and bring God glory through that. And not only do we get to experience that, those around us can go, how can you love someone that's hard to live? Because this is what God does with us. We get to point and be a picture of the gospel in all things. And maybe you're like, Simon, I... I before I was a Christian, I got divorced. And I, we're talking about something different. But you're like, but I was a Christian and I got divorced. And, and based on what you said, I didn't really do it the way that maybe God had said that I should do it. Hey, it's not the unforgivable sin, okay? But what we do see is this, that though we may fail at holding up a covenant, though we may have hard hearts at times, God doesn't. God upholds the covenant, and God's grace is sufficient to cover that as well. And I tell people this all the time. If, you are, if, both, if they're in my office and they're having a hard time in their marriage, if both parties are willing to submit to Jesus, your marriage can not only be healed, but it can thrive and be better than it ever was if you're willing to do that. You're like, but I'm single. I'm off the hook, right? No. I'm not going to go into all of it, but the whole section between 10 and 12 is talking about eunuchs. There are those that were born that way that were unable to marry and reproduce. There are those that were made that way by other people that they can't marry and reproduce. And that there are those that have chosen that for the kingdom of God. And what that means is that you can also show that covenant love. I, I love this. Do you realize that Jesus was never married and was the most effective missionaries in the entire world? You're in great company. That has a gift that you have the ability to spend your time and your energy for God's kingdom. Um, we don't know Paul's life before, but we know that he never got married afterwards, that we can tell. Another single man who devoted himself to pouring into the church and the gospel. And we are reading his words today because he loved the church. You have an opportunity to show the grace, the mercy, and the covenant of love to everyone that you come in contact with, your friends, your, your biological family, and your church family. God is about his glory, and the gospel is the best way to show that, and he has included us in that to extend that to others around us as well. And here's why, because Jesus is faithful even when we're not. I wanna pray. Have the band come back up here and I want to move into a time of worship.